And allow me to introduce myself. As of last weekend, it was official. I am the new senior pastor at Crossroads Christian Church. If I were to use one word, I would say uncertainty. We didn't have somebody standing at the front of the ship and saying, this is the direction that we need to go. It was an environment where I would characterize morale as being down. You know, we decided to try a team approach. And while that worked great for a while, we realized that it no longer worked. We needed uh, someone that kind of the head of the organization who provided the kind of stability and leadership that we had been missing. I feel like we were kind of in the land in between. We had a lot of willing uh, congregation, uh, high capacity volunteers, a lot of great things going on. And we were waiting for a shepherd to come lead us. And I feel like Ken was a shepherd at the right time. I remember the first time in an elder meeting that Ken's name uh, came up. Uh, and after hearing his bio, I was like, wow. Uh, you actually think that this would be a possibility to, for Ken to be our senior pastor? I just felt a uh, filling of the Holy Spirit like I can't describe. Um, and I just knew from the presence of the Lord that we had an answer for our search and that uh, Ken was the man that God had provided for Crossroads for that time and that day. And then after hearing him preach uh, several times, I realized that he was what we needed because he could dissect God's word and certainly could be the leader that some of our younger pastors uh, needed in terms of, uh, of mentoring and guidance and discipleship. So uh, pretty early on, I could tell Ken was a great fit for our body. I think Ken's most lasting contribution will be the stability of his teaching over this 10-year period, the consistency, the, the Bible-centered uh, focus of his teaching, uh, and just the fact that he lived what he taught. Yeah, I just feel like our church is very stable uh, throughout his leadership and because of his leadership, and I feel like uh, a piece of Ken Eidelman uh, will always be a part of Crossroads Christian Church from here on out. He is a team player, and I think he leaves behind part of his legacy is that legacy of team play. Uh, Ken's left us in a really healthy place. Uh, we're fiscally strong. He leaves us healthy as a team. I think his lasting legacy to me is values that he lived out in his life that he really challenged us to live out on our team, and that's uh, living with one another in an atmosphere of freedom and trust and grace. Ken told me very early on that he guaranteed me that we'd within friends. And with just uh, a day or two left, it looks like we're going to make it. I remember him uh, serving us dinner. And 10 years later, it seemed like uh, such a normal thing for him to do. But at the time, it really struck me as unique that a, a, a senior pastor of a church would be serving us in the way that he did. So uh, I value Ken most as a servant leader. Uh, oftentimes, I'll get a little email from him that says, uh, really good job on that, Jack. And it's, it is just refreshing uh, to have a leader who takes the time to encourage those who work for him. Really, his personal integrity, um, honesty, transparency, um, I think just leadership skills, all of those things are so valuable and just things that he's exhibited with grace throughout his time spent here at Crossroads. 
I love that he just doesn't have an ego. He uh, is always working to develop us to be the best that we can be and doesn't care who gets the credit in it. He just really rejoices in seeing us succeed and prosper. As I look back over his tenure here, it certainly is his character, and it's just unquestionable. It's never been moved, it's never been questioned, or uh, never had to worry where he's at or what he's thinking or what he's going to do. It's just always very, very clear and crystal clear. Calmness, character, and confidence. Ken, we couldn't thank you enough, and Kayleen, for answering the call. Ken, I just want to say thank you to you and Kayleen for accepting this uh, position. Uh, this nearly 10 years ago, and thank you for uh, what you've meant to our church. Ken and Kayleen, I just want to thank you for your nearly 10 years of service to our body. I can honestly say from the bottom of my heart, Ken, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Ken, for serving our church uh, in a great capacity and your strong leadership abilities. Thank you, Ken and Kayleen. Thank you, Ken, for all that you've done. Thank you, Ken and Kayleen. I love you, and um, thanks for everything. don't know how you could expect a guy to speak after that. <laughs> Thank you. The closer we've gotten to this final weekend of our ministry here at Crossroads, the more surreal it seems. And I have concluded that I have a definite aversion to goodbyes. It was hard for me to leave my boyhood home and go away to Lincoln Christian College and Seminary at age 18. It was hard for Kayleen and me to uproot and move to Joplin, Missouri after graduation at age 25. And it was hard to leave Ozark Christian College after 34 years and move to Evansville, Newburgh, Indiana, where we knew a total of six people. <laughs> but I am certain that this farewell will be the most difficult parting of all. <clears throat> Jack Arney put it into a single statement recently. He said, there's nothing happening that is sad, but it is emotional. I'm deeply grateful for our nearly 10 years of sharing life together, serving side by side with you, and it has passed much too quickly. I can tell you this. No pastor has been treated with more respect, more kindness, and more consideration. For the past three months, Kayleen and I have received cards, notes, emails, text messages, invitations from so many of you, and it is both gratifying and very humbling. 
the special evenings shared with our small groups, the dinner with our elders and their wives, our time with the pastors and their wives, and the Crossroads staff, and then this past Friday's night of celebration. It was fun, but it was also very affirming and deeply appreciated by both of us. So thank you, truly. We're excited about the future for Crossroads, shared by Pastor Patrick Garcia last weekend. And we also have a growing anticipation about what we'll be doing in the days ahead, connecting with our children and our grandchildren, adding value to their families and to their ministries, having the opportunity to serve the Lord together, and my new calling to be a pastor to pastors in partnership with the Solomon Foundation. I do want to ask you, as often as we come to mind, will you continue to pray for us? We have been living in 2 Timothy, and this morning we come to the fourth and final chapter. We've been using the content of this letter, 2 Timothy, to prepare for our lead pastor succession here at Crossroads. Our United Eldership has planned well for us to experience a transition that is seamless, that is God-honoring, and that is momentum-producing. And studying this letter from Paul to Timothy, his son in the faith, is like treading on sacred ground because these are the last words that were ever penned by the Apostle Paul. I can only imagine what was going through his mind as he charged Timothy to be a faithful minister. Paul knew that he himself would soon be martyred, and so he was passing the mantle of spiritual leadership to a younger man. And Timothy was morally upright. He was well taught, and he was gifted, but perhaps a little reluctant to step up. And so Timothy needed the passion. He needed the conviction. He needed the boldness of Paul. So in this 11th hour of Paul's life, he issues Timothy a solemn charge. Because you see, the Bible is not vague about what God requires of his representatives. And there's a sense in which we're all the Lord's ambassadors. We're all his emissaries. We are all his witnesses. God's word is explicit about what he expects from us. And Every chapter in 2 Timothy, Paul is presenting commands, not suggestions, not ideas, not discussion points. He provides Timothy in 2 Timothy, and all of us who follow after Timothy, he provides us with a standard. For instance, in chapter 1, Paul charged Timothy, do not be ashamed. That's a command. And he instructed Timothy to guard the gospel, not to allow persecution from without or false teachers from within to compromise the message. And in chapter 2, Paul charged Timothy, be strong, and he urged him to endure hardship for the sake of Christ, like a good soldier, like a disciplined athlete, like a hardworking farmer. Then in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, Paul encouraged him to faithfully live a godly life because there were terrible times coming in the last days, and the best way for Timothy to overcome evil and for us to overcome evil is to outlive and to outlove unbelievers. 
Now, the first five verses of chapter 4, it's as though the apostle Paul is running out of time. And so he closes his letter with a flurry of no less than nine successive demands. He doesn't want to leave anything unsaid. And this morning, I want us to internalize these commands from Paul because all of us, Pastor Patrick and our entire Crossroads Church family, need them now just as much as Timothy did back then. So see if you can pick them out as we read the text. And this morning, if you will, I'd like to ask you if you are able, if it is comfortable for you to stand on your feet, and I want to read this text in your hearing, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Paul writes, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Be seated, please. Did you pick up those nine commands? Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct. Rebuke. Encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Let's walk through this text together. The first thing Paul says is, Timothy, preach the Word. It's there in verse 2. And I'm struck by the prelude to this command. The first verse is what I would call heavy. Listen to it. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. I don't know of another place in Scripture where there is this kind of blast on a trumpet to get Timothy's attention, to help him tune in to what Paul is about to say. Why did he say it like this? I think it's because Paul knows that Timothy needs to be impressed with the weighty responsibility of preaching the Word. Now, we know that at the time, Timothy did not have the Scriptures. He did not have the Bible. So the Word here is a reference to the living Word, Jesus, not the written Word, the Bible. But of course, for us living today, it is both the living Word, Jesus, and the Bible. But Paul wanted Timothy to conform to the priority revealed here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. Timothy, be determined to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. That's what it means to preach the living Word. When I came to Crossroads back in 2007, the elders gave me a 
two-part job description. Preach the word and lead the leaders. And it's because our elders understand the priority of preaching in the plan of God to change lives and to build the church. Reformer John Knox once prayed, give me Scotland or I die. And he was well reported to have locked himself in a room for days, weeping because he feared the seriousness of his calling. Martin Luther knelt on a cold stone floor of an unheated monastery in the wee hours of the morning, praying with intensity about his responsibility to convey the truth of God. And I haven't had the experience of locking myself up for days and weeping, and I haven't knelt on a cold stone floor in the wee hours of the morning, but I have at times knelt on the carpeted floor of my study feeling desperate for God's wisdom, praying for His anointing to preach the truth, His truth, in a way that would reach your heads and your hearts and influence your wills. It has regularly consumed two full days out of every week for me to prepare to preach. And I know that Patrick has this same conscience. He has this same fire in his bones but he also has a young family and a heavy leadership load along with fulfilling this most serious charge, preach the Word. So pray for him and understand that every day he lives with a heavy responsibility. Every week, over 3,600 people will assemble in this worship center and in the chapel and online, and they will hold up their empty or their half-empty cups to be filled with living water. They come ready to consume the milk and bread and meat and honey of the Word of God to nourish their souls and strengthen their wills to live a godly life in an ungodly world. And Paul would say, God's people must not be disappointed. His words, the words of Jesus to Peter on the seashore after the resurrection in John 21, echo in the conscience of every faithful preacher, feed my lambs. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. The preaching of the Word and the worship and fellowship of the church changes lives and destinies. And we hear it all the time around here. Lisa was on a selfish and self-destructive course of life, alienated from her parents, alienated from her husband, alienated from her only daughter. But she said, then I came to Crossroads. John was on a fast track, losing his mind, losing his life to methamphetamine. But he said, then I came to crossroads. Brad was enslaved to alcohol, but he collected himself enough to begin coming to our worship assemblies, and he has been freed to live a purposeful life. Philip and Lucretia were in the grip of poverty. They were on the brink of divorce. But they said, then we came to crossroads. Friends, only the church has this kind of deep, lifelong effect on people. Lives are dramatically transformed here. Marriages have begun here. Deep friendships are forged here. 
Families are reunited here. Occupations are altered here. People are healed and given hope here. Eternity is secured here. And that does not happen at the local pubs. And it does not happen at the sports arena. And it doesn't happen in the theaters or the hospitals or even the schools. Centuries ago, scientists believed the sun revolves around the earth, and they were shocked to learn that the earth actually revolves around the sun. And some people today think the world revolves around politics in Washington, D.C., or finances on Wall Street, or entertainment from Hollywood. But many will be stunned when the Lord returns to judge the living and the dead to discover that the universe and the earth actually revolve around Jesus Christ and His church. And the preaching of the Word, the preaching of the Word, living in the Lord Jesus and written in the Bible is central to accomplishing God's purpose in the church. Last week, I was thinning out my library, and in the process of going through things, I found the old King James Bible given to me by my maternal grandmother, Collins, when at age 16, I committed my life to preaching the Word. She gave me that brand-new Bible, and I didn't discover it until later. She had underlined only three words in that Bible. They are the words from our text this morning, 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the Word. Here's what she wrote on the inside cover of that Bible. I tore it out so I can keep it in a special place. Now, forgive the introduction here, if you will. <laughs> to Kenny Darrell. Remember, she's my grandmother, to Kenny Darrell from Grandma, with love and prayers for you to become a faithful and fruitful minister of the true gospel of Christ. Never be afraid to say no to what is wrong and yes to what is right. It takes courage and hard work to be faithful and true, but the Lord is watching and He will take care of you. So, to my successor, I want to say this morning, to Johnny Patrick Paul Garcia from Kenny Darrell. <laughs> can, can you believe that name? John Patrick Paul Garcia. That's, that is what you call a great name for a Christian minister. Folks, our next lead pastor at Crossroads has a lot to live up to, I'm telling you. He is named for the disciple Jesus loved, John. He is named for a Catholic saint, Patrick. He is named for the greatest missionary of all time, Paul. And he's named for the lead singer for the Grateful Dead, Garcia. <laughs> Wow, I'm just saying, <laughs> expect great things. <laughs> I must hurry on. We've got eight more commands to go. Let's take a look at this one, this second one. Be prepared in season and out of season. You know, there are times when it is in season to be a witness for Jesus, like Christmas and Easter and the first weekend after 9-11. But then there's the daily routine of life, the daily grind of life. And there will be times when you don't feel like 
preaching the word, witnessing for the living word. Do it anyway. I understand it's hard to get up out of your lazy boy recliner and go into your children's bedrooms and counsel them and pray with them before they go to sleep. And it's hard to confront your teenager to say, I know you were out late last night, but being tired and wanting to sleep in is not a reason to miss church. Or your cell phone is mine for the next two weeks while you think and pray about what is right. Yes, the right way to use it. And there will be not only times when you don't feel like it, there will be times when your witness for Jesus will not be well received in the marketplace. Do it anyway. It was in our text. There will be times when people won't put up with sound doctrine. They will turn their ears away from the truth. That doesn't matter. Witness anyway. Now, friends, this illustration is not intended to be political because I do not consider myself a Republican or a Democrat. My primary citizenship is in heaven. But this week, I queued up the video of the 1994 National Prayer Breakfast where Mother Teresa spoke. She received a sustained standing ovation of several minutes for her eloquent and courageous speech about the destructive influence of abortion on society. At that breakfast, only three people remained seated, their arms folded across their chest, and they did not applaud. Two of those three were Bill and Hillary Clinton. The former president and his wife, they did not receive it well. I also queued up the video from Dr. Ben Carson's speech at a recent national prayer breakfast where our current president sat through the longest 27 minutes of his presidency. You can see it on camera. His smile visibly giving way to a disapproving scowl as Dr. Carson spoke biblical truth. Our president did not receive it well. So Patrick, preach the word. Even when you don't feel like it, even when it may not be well received and Crossroads family, witness for Jesus, even when you don't feel like it, even when it is not well received. Let me take you to the next three commandments, and let's just put them all together right here, shall we? Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Look at that first word, to correct. It means to call attention to sin, to point it out, to expose it, to make God's people aware of it. It's dragging sin out of the shadows into the bright sunlight of God's truth. That's what it means to correct. And then to rebuke here refers to impressing appropriate guilt because of sin. So to correct is to use, use God's Word to uncover sin, and to rebuke is to convict us of sin. And we need both because it's possible to be aware of the sin in our lives and just not be motivated to do anything about it. And then to encourage means to restore. 
After exposing and confronting sin, we come alongside repentant sinners, and we encourage them, and we do it with great patience, and we do it with careful teaching. We help another person, not just by correcting and rebuking sin, but also by instructing in righteousness. Here's another command, number six, keep your head in all situations. Now, this charge speaks of someone who is stable, someone who is unwavering, someone who is steadfast. It's the opposite of someone who is faddish, flaky, trendy, whimsical, inconsistent. In the midst of our chaotic and rapidly changing world, we need preachers and we need to be Christians whose heads are clear, sober people of unruffled awareness and watchfulness, not people who are fatalistic or reactionary or easily panicked. So, Patrick, never let them see you sweat. Keep your head in all situations. What's next? How about this? Endure hardship. Paul is saying, Timothy, leadership is a great joy, but Timothy, there are going to be hard days. Just get through it. Sometimes preaching the Word means having to tell people the truth when you would rather avoid it, or you would rather have someone else do it. Having to say things to people you love, like, I'm so sorry, but your son has taken his life, or I am so sorry, but your husband has inappropriately touched a child, or it's hard for me to have to tell you that your ongoing lack of heart for your ministry means we must request your resignation, or we're so happy you've been worshiping with us, but we cannot grant your request for a church wedding since you two are living together. Or if you insist on teaching doctrine that is not true to the Bible, we'll have to ask you to give up your class. You see, when we stand for truth, when we share the Word, it sometimes causes stress. It creates hardship that causes stress. But I ran on to a quote this week, a powerful quote by George Orwell. Here it is. The further society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. That's where we are today. Now, here's something else for Pastor Patrick and all the rest of us to obey. Do the work of an evangelist. I love the evangelistic passion that Patrick is bringing to our five-year vision, this focus on the one rather than the 99 and the responsibility of the 99 to reach the one. It's so biblical and so profound in its simplicity. But let's be reminded here by Paul's words once again that the church is the only institution that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. Folks, that's why we were challenged over a year ago now to be all in, to sacrifice, to stretch, to do more than we've ever done before as individuals and as a church to financially underwrite our church's outreach 
by expanding our missionary partnerships and by expanding our facilities and by expanding our community witness. Last weekend, Patrick's message initiated the new vision of multiplying leaders, multiplying campuses, multiplying churches. And if we're going to do the work of an evangelistic church, we've got to follow through on our giving commitments. We've got to be faithful stewards by getting ourselves, I'm talking to Christians now, Christ followers now, by getting ourselves into a financial position to be able to tithe or to begin tithing or to begin giving more than a tithe. I tell you, I have no idea how God does it, but I can tell you that Kayleen and I made the most sacrificial financial commitment we have ever made in our lives to our all-in generosity initiative, and today, 18 months later, we're in the best position financially we've ever been. No surprise, here's what Jesus said, give, and it will be given to you for the measure you use. It will be measured to you. And so we do the work of an evangelist. We do it personally, daily, and we do it through our stewardship in the local church. One more thing here. Do not evaluate the effectiveness of our future ministry solely on the basis of attendance figures. God doesn't. He evaluates us by faithfulness to His Word in our teaching and by our obedience. Our growth for the past 16 years as a church has been steady, but it has not been stunning. We're capable of profound growth, stunning growth. At the same time, we've not gone backwards. Our heart for the world and our community has become demonstrably enlarged, and our leadership is both united and poised for what could be Crossroads' greatest days. Last weekend in 2007, the last weekend in June when I started here, I think that weekend we had something like 2,700 in attendance. In 2013, we reached our highest average weekend worship attendance of 3,729. But for the last three years, we have plateaued attendance-wise. And we've plateaued in spite of welcoming hundreds of new people and families. Our room in Sunday services has reached the saturation point, but future growth is being addressed by our vision to multiply campuses in this community. One more command. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, the word for discharge here means to accomplish all the duties of your ministry. It speaks of Timothy fulfilling his responsibilities, whatever they may be, and doing it wholeheartedly. And as I come to the end of my tenure at Crossroads, I am completing my duties as senior pastor. I've consistently tried to be true to the theme verse for my life and ministry for exactly 50 years this very month. It has been the words of Paul in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. I proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that I may present everyone perfect or complete or whole, mature in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all His energy, which so powerfully 
works in me. And so it is no surprise that at the end of Paul's life, he could say the words that we recognize, words that are recorded in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, right after these five verses that we've walked through this morning in verses 6 and 7. Paul says, the time has come for my departure. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now, dear friends and coworkers, the time has come for my departure. Now, I'm not going to be beheaded in Rome that I know of. But the time for my departure has come, and as my last official act as senior pastor, I want to call my Christian brother, my ministry colleague, my personal friend, and Crossroads' new lead pastor, Patrick Garcia, to the platform. Sorry for you not to be able to talk today. We're not passing a baton here. We're passing a shepherd's staff because Christ is the good shepherd, and we pastors, we're under shepherds of the good shepherd. But the shepherd's staff is a visible symbol of the kind of unique leadership, the kind of distinctive leadership that characterizes the church of Jesus. Inscribed on this staff, Acts 20, 28, May 21st and 22nd, 2016, Crossroads Christian Church. And Patrick, I'm going to pass this staff to you today along with a book that I wish were in a hardcover because this looks like a really cheap gift. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but in these words, the book is entitled, Like a Shepherd Lead Us. And that is the prayer of your church family to you on this day. I'm going to ask all of you to stand on your feet now. And we're going to put up the words that are inscribed on the shepherd's staff up on the screen. And I'd like to ask you to just extend your hand this morning toward Patrick. And I want us to pray this prayer. I want us to extend this charge to Patrick today. Patrick. Keep watch over yourself and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. Be a shepherd of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Will you pray with me? Father God, we all do pray with one heart and one voice this morning a prayer of thankfulness for the fact that your hand has been upon Crossroads Christian Church for 49 years. Oh, Lord, the things you have done in this community, the things that you've done in people's lives, the things that will resound in your kingdom throughout all eternity. We can't even begin to calculate them. We thank you. We praise you for it. And we pray, Father, for the future. We pray for the next chapter in the life of Crossroads, and we pray for Pastor Patrick. We pray just as your hand has been upon Crossroads that your hand of favor would be upon him, that you would take him to deep places and at the same time high places 
so as a church family we can go deeper and we can rise higher as we serve you in this generation we anticipate the day when the work will end when the darkness of this world will give way to the light of Christ and Lord until then we just pray you would lead on lead us individually and lead our church we pray for Jesus sake and in his name amen commit ourselves together as we sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning think in uh, my nearly 10 years of being here this is the first time Kayleen has been on the platform some of you may need to be introduced to her you've only seen her from from behind in our assemblies but um, we are a uh, team in every sense of the word and we have loved being a part of this church family we love you all it's been a joy uh, the great joy of our lives to spend this last almost 10 years with you We'll look forward to what's ahead, and remember, because of Jesus, our fellowship is a fellowship of earth and heaven, time 
and eternity. So as Christians, we don't say goodbye. We say, see you later. Somebody suggested to me this morning, is, see you here, see you there, or see you in the air. <laughs> so that's what we'll say. We'll see you later. God bless you. Thank you for everything.